Now, with that said, back to Hebrews. We have arrived at our final sermon, and it has been a journey indeed, uh, and hopefully it has been one that has felt like a fruitful journey to you. Hopefully it's not been like pulling teeth and going like, oh, Hebrews again. Hopefully it's felt like it has been worth it, and I think, I hope that it has been worth it. Well, I know that it's been worth it. Don't, don't, me, don't me miss my words there. But I hope you see how valuable this book is. Now, the thing about Hebrews, uh, just even to summarize, is a bit difficult, right? Because we have covered a lot of ground, and this ground that we have walked together has unpacked very strong teaching about Christ. There has been no less than three major Christological that means teachings about Jesus, but real fancy word, um, that have been unpacked and laid before us in the book of Hebrews. So three major things. Uh, one thing that we learned that Christ was better than angels. I know you struggle with that every day, uh, but we looked at that in that first chapter. We actually thought through, here's a word for you, angelology. Like, oh, there's a whole thinking about angels. And so it brings it up. We, we looked at that. You can go back and look at those messages. But we learned that Christ is even better uh, than angels. We also learned through the book of Hebrew that Christ is a better sacrifice. Atonement, soteriology, our belief about salvation was really unpacked in the work of Jesus in terms of his sacrifice. We also learned that Christ is the better Priests, I know once again, something you wrestle with every day, who is my priest? Um, but hopefully the book of Hebrews made some connections for you to see how significant Christ is in terms of being the mediator, the one who goes before us in a way that like no other priest had. You see, other priests had to bring a sacrifice. Jesus gives himself as a sacrifice. So we have learned major important things about Christ. Now, with those important doctrines firmly established, the preacher over the last couple of weeks has been ending this sermon by pushing and encouraging endurance. So if we were to kind of think of two things this book has done, raise our confidence in Jesus, that then would lead to endurance faithfulness, or we like to say long walk of obedience unto the Lord. So he establishes those core doctrines about Christ, and then over the last few weeks, he kind of ends the sermon by pushing endurance. So we've been asking the question, what is going to help us endure? Well, ultimately, confidence in Jesus, right? Looking to him. Um, but we've learned a few things along the way, uh, because what confidence in Christ does is it does bring greater endurance. Um, but we all would agree. Though that's true, it's not easy. It's not always roses, if you will, in following Jesus. It's difficult. It's hard. So the preacher has been giving practical tips to, that we can lean into to help with endurance. Once again, with Christ firmly established in all that he is. But the preacher knows the people. He loves the people, and he's been pushing them into things that would help endurance. Surprisingly, endurance has a lot to do with each other. Surprising, isn't it? Just simply being here this morning is just not something that you just do. You being here this morning, according to the book of Hebrews, is significant in your long walk of obedience. Being with the gathered people is a huge help 
and faithfulness to God. Because the here and now is here and now. So to have one another is a greatly help, right? Is a greatly help or a great help? Yeah, it's a great help. Brothers and sisters, the local gathering, gathered believers is so significant in our endurance. The preacher has said it time and time again. And this week, as he ends, he's going to lay before us another help that supports and aids our endurance. That's the aim, right? Confidence in Christ. So therefore, this should lead towards endurance. But God has given us things to help with that. So let's read this final section, okay? Now, the final section, we're going to kind of look at it several pieces. It's made up of, one, a few encouragements, so it's going to help endurance. It ends, or it has kind of tucked in the middle of this last section, a beautiful doxology, summarizing a lot of what Hebrews has taught. Doxologies are, are brilliant ways to communicate truth. So he uses this beautiful uh, phraseology, right, statements to really summarize everything he's been saying. And, but then he gives this random um, kind of travel plans at the end. And this is pretty common for Paul because, or not Paul, well, it depends on who you believe wrote the book of Hebrews. This is common for letters of, uh, in the New Testament. They usually speak on, I would desire to come to you captures the preacher's love for the people I am hoping and desiring. He updates them on Timothy because it's real life people who are worried about their brothers and sisters across the way. So he reminds them of what's going on. So th this is kind of our last section, probably spending a little bit more time on this last support that is going to help us endure, because I want it to be plain for us this morning. We'll admire the doxology together, but so much of that has already been unpacked, right? We've actually read it together many times uh, during the, se uh, the series of Hebrews, because it's just, just that good. So Hebrews 13, starting in verse 7, we'll read the entire section, and then we'll dive in uh, to this last section. Let's start at verse 7. So we looked at the first uh, six verses last week. Verse 7 kind of turns the corner and says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have no benefit those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burnt outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Here's the conclusion. You know the preacher's got to teach one more time, right? And now he concludes why he brought, us, brought all this up. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God. That is 
the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Verse 17, obey your leaders, here's the leaders again, and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now the doxology. It's almost like you want to burst out in song together, right? Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you, y'all, with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's in there. That's great. But it's a, a letter, right? It's personable. And then he ends with, I appeal to you, brothers, like a good preacher. One last exhortation. Let me just get it in there before the end. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. That always makes me laugh. <laughs> Briefly, huh? All right. He must be a really good preacher. He thinks he's been brief. But anyway, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your, there's the leaders again, greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Yeah, these are three different sections, but there seems to be a common denominator. Leaders. Did you catch this? That it seems that good leaders help endurance. But on the other side of good leaders, it seems that bad leaders produce unfaithfulness. You might be wondering, well, what is it about these leaders that is either good or bad? Because here it's mentioned three times, very plainly and clearly, saying that there's something significant about them. Because in here, whether you saw it or not, there's good leaders and there's bad leaders. Well, what's the difference between the two that are mentioned here? Well, it's teaching and preaching. That seems to be the difference in why these good leaders we should respond to in a certain way. Remember them, imitate their life. Obey, submit, hard words, I understand. Pray. It seems to be the emphasis that the preacher is drawing out to them in terms of what's going to help them endure is to have good leaders. What is a good leader? A faithful teacher and preacher. Now, up to this point, there has already been, in the book of Hebrews, a, an emphasis on teaching. Not only just teaching and right teaching, but really what has been handed down to them. What has been given to you, and come to find out what has been given to them is a very rich Christocentric. There's another fancy word to say Christ-centered. 
There's been a very Christ-centered teaching and preaching that has been handed down to them. And not only has it been handed down, but it's been given to them by faithful men. So it's already been encouraged. This teaching from these faithful people, do not abandon it. Don't disregard it. Here again, in the last final few paragraphs, the preacher says, they, we are called again to emulate those faithful ones. What about those faithful ones? Tirelessly giving God's word. Not only giving God's word, but believing God's word about Christ. We are to emulate them, to see their life. Why do we emulate them? Because God's word is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You see, that's the point of that pivot in verse 8. It seems a bit odd and strange to be emphasizing, remember your leaders, and then all of a sudden it says, hey, Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The preacher is telling them, hey, you need good leaders who will consider Christ. You need to remember those good leaders who've given great teaching about Christ. Why is it good teaching? Because Christ does not change. So guess what? The teaching about him should not change. He is the same yesterday. Don't believe the preacher? Look at all the Old Testament references that he has pulled out to say, hey, look, this is who we know Christ is. Not only is he the same yesterday, but he's also the same today. All the faithful teaching that you have gotten. And guess what? Christ will be the same tomorrow. So any future, as I like to call hogwash, don't believe it. You see, Christ is the same, and so therefore the teaching about him should not change. And so anything that comes along your way that doesn't uphold the truths about Christ that have been handed down to you, don't believe it. Why am I saying this? Because apparently you could get caught up in that teaching moment again, right? Because it's rich again and like the altar and they can't eat it. Well, apparently what he's trying to unpack is there's a teaching that is happening that emphasizes food, and we can say more broadly, action, that emphasizes action as what makes you right with the Lord, okay? It may seem odd to think food consumption is what makes you right with the Lord, but they had a lot of significance, which he highlights a little bit when it comes to sacrifices and keeping the law, keeping faithful to all the things that God has said. So here's what he's saying. You're getting teaching that's emphasizing action as what makes you right with the Lord. So the preacher, nicely again, I'd have to say, well, he paints them a better source of nourishment. The altar. You want to consume something? You, don't want, to, you want to know where better food is? Don't you love the, the betterness of Jesus that he puts before them? And he does it again. Oh, you want to talk about food. You want to talk about nourishment. You know where you should go feast? We feast on the altar. You see, that's better food. Why is it better food? Because that's the better source of salvation. That's where salvation has been won and gained. The altar of Christ laying himself down. 
And he does it like he's done all along. He draws upon this common picture, common regulations of the Old Testament to emphasize that Christ is better. What he did upon the altar is better than any action you could do, better than any obedience that you could give. What he has done upon the altar, see the entire book, is better. So why would you not feast on that? He references Old Common, uh, Old Testament practices, but he specifically talks about meat that has been sacrificed. Well, this meat that has been sacrificed that he's referencing is specifically for atonement, right? Salvation, the forgiveness of sins. Well, that meat, it actually had to be taken outside to be burnt. You gotta just get rid of that stuff, right? Sin has been dealt with, get rid of it, right? So he's tying into this saying, hey, there's nothing good there. It's taken outside the camp. It is burn up. Part of the atonement process. But then he says this interesting thing. Oh, and by the way, that's where Jesus was his entire ministry. Outside the circle. Outside the upper crest of scribes and priests. Ridiculed, beaten, pushed out. Go out there with him. That's what the preacher is in essence saying. He's saying stop being swayed by bad leaders, more specifically by bad theological teaching. Remember what has been handed down to you. Consider their teaching. Consider their lives. Emulate it with your life. And emulate what they did by what they taught. Remember them and what you accept as gospel truth, even if it causes you suffering. It's better nourishment. Using this beautiful imagery to say he was the sacrifice for atonement. He's who we feast upon. Go be outside with him. Imitate their faith of those who handed down this faithful teaching. Imitate it both in the way you live and, and most importantly, imitate it in your commitment to staying true to what God has said. You see, our strength, their strength, is not in adopting the latest strange teaching. You see, our strength is feasting upon the never-changing truths about Christ. If pressure comes to abandon sound doctrine, don't bite. If fitting in means dropping a few convictions about Christ, don't bite. If acceptance in the workplace means dumbing down strong beliefs about salvation, don't bite. See, that food does not satisfy much like the meat that's taken out to be burned, much like Christ who suffered greatly by bearing the reproach, you and your faithfulness to the great food that is Christ. The preacher is giving them even a visual picture. Go out there and bear the reproach outside of camp. Go bear the, the suffering that may come in holding tight to what Christ has done upon the altar. It's incredible 
imagery to encourage them that perhaps your strong belief in Christ puts you on the outside. Well, guess what? That's where Christ went. Oh, and guess what? Remember the meat sacrificed for atonement? That's where it went. So we must be willing to walk in the same place. Because the, to feast upon Christ is of greater nourishment, brothers and sisters. Let us be willing to bear the approach of Christ. Let us not drop any conviction of Christ. Let us not dumb down our strong beliefs about salvation. Let's not bite. Let us not sink our teeth into the latest strange teaching. Let us be willing to bear the approach much like Christ. He offered his body, he shed his blood, and that is a better and more satisfying sacrifice. And come to find out that is what we absolutely need. Forgiveness of sins, a right relationship with God. You see, we are not to bite upon less worthy food. We're to feast upon the sacrifice of Christ. But I think the preacher wants to make plain that might cost you. Go bear the reproach of that. It's worth it. See, based upon this understanding of Christ, based upon all that Christ is, based upon the entirety of Hebrews, based upon those teaching, and he says, which by the way, good leaders have given you, we are to endure, emulate those good leaders by speaking good truth and being committed to good truth. You see, the preacher revisits in this little section of teaching. He just can't seem to walk away without unpacking some rich theological thinking. But on the heels of this unpacking of the sacrifice and bearing the reproach, he revisits again that great motivator about this world. What does he say? There's a greater city awaiting us. Here he reminds, and it's good for us to hear again, and I've said it a million times over this series, faith has future eyes. Faith is able to see the restoration of all things, bringing, you guessed it, a greater city, a better one, a greater country, a greater home for us. Endurance is worth it. And we can endure because what lies ahead? Emulate those leaders who died for faithfulness to Christ. You see, we are to endure, and he's highlighted this a lot, but it is a great way to wrap up. What did these, these leaders, what did they endure? They endured any kind of ridicule to give Christ and his word clear. But they endured because they knew there were great promises ahead. It is not unwise for us to consider what lies ahead for us, brothers and sisters. It is not un, um, I already said unwise, I'm going to say unsmart. I don't think that's a word, but anyway. It is good for us to be mindful of what lies ahead. During this series, we uh, sang that one song, Almost Home. What a great refrain, Almost Home. And the reality is, is if some of us go before it's so plain of Christ's return, it still is incredibly joyous and doesn't change the fact that we are almost home. 
And that's what these good leaders did, handed down good teaching, but handed down faithful lives. He is saying, instead of abandoning your faith, instead of doing that in hard times, he says, we're still called to make sacrifices. You know the sacrifices we make? Of praise. What's that? Well, the text actually says it plainly. Here's how it said it. The fruit of the lips is acknowledge his name. That's the praise, acknowledge his name. It seems that praise in the sense here, and, and really in the entirety of the book, must mean a continual declaration that God is God. There's a deep commitment and a belief that he actually exists, and that's kind of, well, that settles it for me. He exists. He is God. So therefore, what he says is, is a no-brainer to me, that I should continue to follow him. So the praise that we do is almost a, a, a reminder, a continual declaration. No, God is God. He truly does exist, and what he says is right. It's like that little refrain, and I'm sure some of you just love to run for long distances. There was a time in my life where I did, and there was a refrain of one foot in front of the other. That's literally all it was, one foot in front of the other. And there are times in this praise of sacrifices, it's hard, but the praise I'm going to give is God does exist. One foot in front of the other. I'm going to keep following him. It's almost the, the rehearsing of the truths of God to declare that. When we gather, we declare that. When we watch other brothers and sisters in hard times, lifting up praise unto the Lord, that's what they're saying. God does exist one foot in front of the other. I'm going to continue to follow him. So the sacrifice includes this praise, but it also includes the care for others. We've said it so much, but here yet again is an emphasis that we need each other in every way. Not just in a couple ways, we need each other in every way. Emotionally, you heard me, mentally, sometimes we need each other physically, and on occasion we might need each other financially. We are each other's best way to endure. From each member in the room and as we're seeing here, to each leader in the room. You see, the preacher appeals to these good leaders here to highlight, well, bad leaders, right? Well, no, good leaders are those who faithfully commit to God's word, even if it hurts. And then they show you with their life what it means. Well, bad leaders are the ones who uh, generate unbelief. Bad leaders are the ones who are willing to walk away from strong, firm commitments of Christ and teach something different. So sure, he's highlighting good leaders to highlight the bad, but he's also to show and help us to see that God gives us good leaders. It's actually part of the makeup of our local gathering, that there's good, faithful preaching, and this good, faithful preaching, you know what it does? It helps us endure. Good preaching is essential because it promotes Christ. It promotes his broken body, his shed blood as the only act that saves us, not rituals or regulations. We together continually rehearse the truths of God. Preaching should be the moment where God's word is heralded in such a way that we say yes and amen to the truths of God's word. So leaders, 
And I say more specifically, good, faithful teachers are essential. So the text takes another step further. So obey and submit to your leaders. You see, what's crazy is you get this really dense teaching, and it's kind of odd and even hard to read. Even as I read it out loud, going, what is he saying here? He, he does this, hey, remember your leaders. And by the way, Jesus doesn't change. So people should not change the teachings of Jesus. And by the way, since we're talking about Jesus, you should bear the reproach of faithfulness to him, because that's what he did. And oh, by the way, there's a greater city coming. It's worth it. And then verse 17, back to leaders. Leaders are still in view in this final section. They're mentioned quite often. Just because he broke away from this teaching to undergird remembering the leaders, bearing that reproach, he still comes back to the point at hand. Leaders are still in view. After this quick, quick teaching about Christ and his sacrifice, his suffering, they are brought up again here in verse 17. Now, I want you to keep in view, though, what's the point of these last verses? Endurance. So leaders are being brought up to highlight bad leaders, but also to place before us how they help us to endure. We need them. But this time, when they're brought back up, well, I can remember them. That's great. But this time, there's two difficult words (laughs) that might cause a little cringe, a little obey, submit. What, what can this mean? Well, we know that teaching has been emphasized. So I believe certainly that is in view. What are they saying, right? So, so whatever it is that they're saying, as they remain faithful, well, you should listen to it, right? You should obey. You should submit to the teachings of God's word. It is as much as faithful to put Christ forward. Listen to that teaching. But there's also, did you catch it? There's another view here about leaders in your life. They are apparently tasked with watching over your souls. And then it says, you know why they do that? They will have to give an account. Let me just say, this is sobering to me. It causes great respect for the role of pastor. Pastor, elders, leaders, are placed in our lives to, one, faithfully faithfully proclaim truth. That's in view. We've also seen there to model faithful living. But there's another thing being pushed here for your endurance, for my endurance. They are to look after our souls, our lives, if you will, in the Lord. And you may be wondering, what does this mean? Watch over your soul. Well, if we simply just look at the text, it actually helps us get a sense of what it means, right? Let me just read it again, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, okay? As those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. First, I think just the word soul, right? It kind of indicates, it kind of makes claim there's a spiritual thing that they're doing, that they're watching over. They're watching over some spiritual component to your life, to my life. Well, I also think that this negative response of groaning, I think it gives us a little insight 
to what's happening in this interaction with these leaders. Well, the negative response of groaning, doesn't that seem to allude to probably a hard interaction? Probably something that's like, tell me what to do, right? Groaning, and it's like, ugh. Even just the way it's described kind of highlights that there's some type of hard interaction around spiritual issues, right? Watching your soul. And then we get that if you were to take that action, if you were to respond to that watching of your soul, then it says it was of no advantage to you. I think this gives us another hint. What, what can advantage mean here? It can only mean growth, maturity, and endurance. So this is the only way watching over your life in Christ is advantageous. It's this, if watching leads to greater faith. That's how this watching becomes of a tremendous advantage to all of us. This seems to mean, or this seems to be what watching over your soul looks like. The ability to speak into each other's lives. The ability for leaders to let God's word bear on your life in such a way that it might be hard to hear. And the most advantageous thing for you to do, which that seems to be greater sense of faith, trust, belief in Jesus, is to obey and submit. You see, good leaders within the family of God, they give God's word, so obey and listen. Good leaders, spiritual ones, take the truths of God's word, they apply it to our lives, and then they actually watch to see that we will stay true to it. So the preacher says, listen, trust what they say by submitting. You see, good leaders within the church, they do this not out of selfish ambition and the need for control, or at least they shouldn't. <laughs> no, they do this for your advantage. What advantage would that be? Well, in context, endurance. <laughs> there it is again. What's, what's advantageous about this in our life? Endurance, faithfulness to Christ. That God in his infinite wisdom placed leaders into a place to give God's word and then to watch that we all remain faithful to it. Brothers and sisters, we need each other. That's been plain, but do you know we need good leaders to faithfully teach, faithfully look after us. And we need good leaders to obey to take what they say to heart. Perhaps it's good to just be a little bit more direct this morning. You need good leaders to faithfully teach, to faithfully look after your soul, whether you like it or not. And you need good leaders to listen to, consider what they say, rather than just to miss it. Now, I know that in our context, that means pastors and elders, myself and Jared. There it is. Elephant in the room, not to highlight any kind of weight reference, but it's us, right? We're not the only. We're, you just always may anyway. Yeah. I, <laughs> now, there are many leaders among us who preach and teach, right? Um, we have a pastoral intern that gets to preach. Uh, we have some among us that are gifted to teach in ways, right? But in context, it makes sense that there's something in view about what we have given ourselves to here. Can I just tell you, 
Do you know how terrifying and humbling it is to know that all that we, all that we do, we will have to give an account for? Our leadership here, we will have to give an account for. We met early this morning just talking through every aspect of the church, down to like everything, trying to ensure that we are being faithful to do what God's, because we will be held accountable. Can I just tell you something? It's already weighty. It's already hard. So to add groaning, (laughs) complaining, downright dismissive attitude, do you know that steals a lot of joy? See, questioning is one thing, but cynical hearts, suspicious of everything we say or do, that makes it very hard to serve. Questioning and concerns, well, that's one thing. But selfish preferences, attacking every move we make, is hard. And by God's grace, you have done well in caring for us. But it's still worth this few moments to remind ourselves of what God does in this type of structure in the church. Because here's the point, if light in the desert church is going to endure, if it's going to weather the storm, it needs strong, faithful leaders willing at all costs to preach God's word, to watch over us, and and, and very specifically bring God's word to bear on our life, our thoughts, and our actions. One of the most humbling things that happened over the years of serving as as uh, pastor here, I was having a car- hard conversation with a member. It was really hard. Just some things we, we have been noticing that we wanted to encourage this person with, spiritual things. And this person looked at me, and I was, I was sweating it. And I was like, oh, oh Lord, I've been praying. Me and another leader were there just you know, trying to talk through this. This person looked at me and said, yeah, this is hard to hear, but the moment I ask you to be my pastor is the moment I ask you to look at, over my life. I was like, wow, um, well, that's humbling. That, that was unbelievably humbling and caused me to be even more um, uh, thoughtful about what I said because of the, the willingness and the ability to open up to this wild, unique role. It's odd. It is like no other. But to have that sense and voice, oh, wow. This is why we need good leaders, faithfully proclaiming Christ and submitting to Christ themselves. Because what the preacher is saying is that we must invite these leaders, these pastors, We must invite them into that outburst of anger. We must invite them into our lackadaisical faith, to our cynical, suspicious attitude. The preacher is telling us that we must let them speak into our passive commitment to God. We must let them confront the late nights on computer with the multiple inappropriate clicks. 
This is ground level what the preacher is saying. If we're going to make it, if we're going to endure, we need each other. And we need good leaders. And not only we need to invite them into our life. And this isn't, we don't get a pass from this. Because we look at each other in the eyes and we do the same thing. We pastor each other. And you know that some of you have done this really well to speak into my life. We need the ministry of the body. Now you can insert any number of sin as I was trying to describe, but we are to invite in those who God raises up among us to speak into our lives. And, and the preacher here seems to understand that that's hard. So the preacher asks for prayer. <laughs> he asks for prayer. Notice the content of the prayer, clear conscience. That, that makes all the sense in the world to me. We weigh everything we talk about. You see, because before anything is said, any move is made around here, there must be tremendous prayer and lots of consideration of what these actions and words will mean to God's glory and to your good. So he says, pray for us that we will be confident in what we do and what we say. Clear conscience in our leading and life. Pray for us to act honorably in our life outside of here and in our leading. We need patience, wisdom. We must be long-suffering in our dealings. There's so much for us to consider here, and I wanted to spend the bulk of our time so that we did not misunderstand what's being put for us today. But there is this beautiful doxology Hebrews 13, 20, 21, now may the God of peace, see, as he ends all this, he says, now here's what I'm praying for you, that the God of peace you brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, see the emphasis of the power of God, he brought him from the dead, who is he? He's the great shepherd of the sheep, the blood of the internal covenant, oh, go back to Hebrews, he talks a lot about that, he's saying all of that wonderful stuff, guess what he's going to do, he's going to equip you with everything good, that you may do his will. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he does his appeal. But there's something about this doxology that I just want to mention as we wrap up here. The preacher brings everything full circle. He's been preaching his little heart out, all these things. He's been doing that so that they would be equipped for the need of great endurance. But you know what his view is so much larger than that. You know what he actually believes? that God alone will equip them. He has this incredible view. So he believes if I focus on Christ, I believe confidence will grow. If we gain more knowledge of who God is, the preacher says, I am confident you will grow. Because when I look at God and he raised Jesus from the dead, <laughs> he did all of this work and he's brought the eternal long-lasting covenant through Christ. So he's like, of course, well, then God can equip you through Christ. You see, it's that belief at the end that has called him to preach. It has caused him to make this strong appeal. What's the appeal? It's very clear. Listen to his word of exhortation. This morning, as we wrap up this letter, here's the clear call. Brothers and sisters, heed the words of Hebrews this morning. Remember those who handed down right teaching. Imitate them. Listen. Obey. Take to heart. 
cement those who are handing down right teaching and called to pastor. Pray for those. Pray for your pastors. Pray for us who are giving themselves to right teaching. Why? Because endurance depends on it. I cannot perceive to know what 2024 will hold for us. But what I do know is that through Christ, he's equipped us and prepared us for whatever comes our way. Not only with the person and work of Christ, but one another and good leaders. Pray with me. Father God, I'm so thankful for this time together. I pray that you've taken the preaching of your word and once again you've used it to strengthen our confidence in Christ. But I also pray this morning you've taken it and convicted us to give ourselves to the local gathering, maybe more than we have before. To give ourselves to one another in a way that we can encourage, look after, and care for. Father, to also look after and to pray diligently for pastors, leaders, those who give themselves to the right preaching of your word and who are working hard to emulate faith. We are thankful for all of your provisions you've given us in this local gathering, so we are praying that you would help us to follow you more. If some among us don't know the joys of being a part of a local gathering in this way, don't know the joys of, of having people surround us and look after us, may they grab someone this morning and ask further questions. Father, send your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh